Brad and Jeff shouldn't have a podcast. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship. Welcome to a special Festivus edition of Brad and Jeff shouldn't have a podcast. I'm Brad Pahigian. And I'm Jeff Andres. Our first and favorite segment is sponsored by Truki Supermarkets. Truki's has you covered for all of your last minute holiday grocery needs. Be sure to check out their holiday hours at truckies.com. The spelling is T-R-U-C-C-H-I-S. They have locations in Abington, Middleborough, New Bedford, Two and Taunton, and West Bridgewater. Truki's Supermarkets, your hometown store. All right, Jeff, absurd, moronic, and downright ridiculous. It's time. It's time. And as usual, we have a high-profile government employee is for you know front and center here. The probably the second most famous doctor right now after Dr. Fauci, Dr. Deborah Burks. She traveled and visited her large family, it appears, when she told everyone that we need to stay home, we need to be vigilant, limit our celebrations to your immediate household. Those are direct quotes from Dr. Burks. Yet the day after Thanksgiving, she traveled to one of her vacation properties on Fenwick Island in Delaware, where she was accompanied by three generations of her family from two separate households. Now we find out she's now resigning due to this scandal. Jeff, thoughts? This is uh, disgusting. I'm done trying to be nice with these these politicians, especially someone like this. You know how serious everything is going on right now. You're who's the not one, even a politician. Who's a doctor? Yeah, you're a doctor dictating these rules, um, and you go with three generations. They, she said it's her, her immediate family, but they live in two separate households. So that that's funny. I don't know how that works, um, but this is. This is gross. This is gross. It's it's just so disappointing. You know, at the very least, you would think that, you know, doctors would at least have, you know, some shred of decency to follow their, their own guidelines here. But apparently it she's no different than any of the other politicians that we've been featuring. She also apparently would, you know, had expressed interest in maintaining a significant role in the White House in the upcoming Biden administration. And then I guess she very quickly retired, by the way, that's the word that's being used by, I said resigned a moment ago, but she will be retiring Jeff uh, after this scandal. You know, I will say it was pretty, uh, pretty abrupt. I don't know if, you know, maybe the incoming Biden administration said, yeah, we have zero interest in retaining you or, you know, and you just better go away now. I'm not sure if, if the Trump administration had any involvement in this or if they even cared at this point, you know, with what happened, but uh, she's gone or will be gone and she's retiring. So I just, it's just, I, I, nothing surprises me anymore at this point, you know, like you basically, you know, if you told me that Dr. Fauci was out, you know, running around nude in a shopping mall, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't shock me at this point because I think this is, just no, there's nobody that wouldn't do what, basically what they felt like at this point, and it doesn't matter what they're telling the rest of us. 
Oh, exactly. I mean, no one's held accountable anymore, obviously. I mean, every week we talk about more of these stories. She bothers me more uh, for two reasons. One, like you mentioned, she's a doctor, so she, you think she would know better. But the second one is unlike um, most of these people that have got caught, she has not apologized. She has just constantly, constantly made excuses. Like she went there to winterize the property. You go with three generations of your family to winterize it for a potential sale. Like she got exposed by her own sister-in-law too, which makes this even more entertaining. Right, Kath- Kathleen Flynn, who's married to the, uh, whose brother is married to Burke's, well, Burke's daughter. So I guess. Uh, niece-in-law or whatever you want to call it is the one that exposed her called uh she cavalierly violated her own guidance which i think was put quite well yeah it's just like and then she just lies and lies she says in one part when she she got asked a question about it she said that uh everyone on the trip was in her immediate household and in the same breath acknowledged that they're from two separate homes like so in my mind that's not immediate well, does she also know what the word house household to to me at least means people that you live with? There isn't some like weird definition that maybe I'm not picking up here, but this whole, you know, all of these guidelines essentially apply to your household, which means the people that you live with, not people that you're related to. Right. That's not an immediate I can't go to my grandmother's house in Mansfield 20 minutes away. That's not my immediate household. My household is here. In Middleborough. So she just dug herself a hole. She should have just taken the loss, apologized like all these other clowns. But no, she just dug that hole deeper and deeper through this whole thing and uh, got exposed. Yeah. It, as, as you said, you know, it seemed like she did. She originally tried to rationalize this and it, it clearly that went nowhere because I think this is just too damaging. And then, you know, today we get the information that she's retired. So I, I think she realized that there was no digging herself out of this hole. Yeah. That might've been a forced retirement too. That might've been oh. resigned now or we're going to light you up. No <laughs> doubt. I'm sure she'll enjoy her, enjoy her nice federal pension and oh, yeah. with her life. <laughs> this next story, I want to make sure that I read it correctly just so everyone understands it. So the, the headline is an Illinois woman had bought some flags from Kohl's, but when she received her package, there was also a used COVID sample kit in a biohazard bag. So just so like everybody, I just want to set this up properly again. So an Illinois woman, she ordered some flags for her grandmother's garden. She gets a package from Kohl's and in addition to, I guess, what she ordered, there's also a biohazard bag inside of it that was basically a, a COVID specimen containing a used nasal swab and and the ide- identifying information from said patient who happened to be in Virginia. And this woman lives in Illinois. I'm, I'm trying to make sense of how this happened. Holes said that, obviously said it was, they said it was a very unusual, unusual and inexplicable experience. And they said that it was sent from an outside direct ship vendor. Okay. I, I understand maybe it didn't, if it didn't come from your warehouse, but I, I just don't understand how garden flags in a used specimen sample end up in the same package. Jeff, this has, uh, I guess a couple different angles. 
it seems to me like maybe something nefarious went down. What are your take? What's your take on this? So there could be a, a couple angles with this one. The only thing I can think of uh, is wherever this direct ship is. I wonder if some warehouse worker woke up one day and goes, hmm, I can't smell or taste. This isn't good. I can't take time off work right now. So he maybe, I don't know if they swab and they had to put it in a little box. I don't really know. But I'm wondering if he just did, ditched it, put it in a box. That box eventually got used and sent to this this poor lady. Because um, I, I can't really think anything else. I mean, unless she planted it herself and made it up. I, I don't know. But this is this is strange. And, you know, you know it, that originally crossed my mind that, okay, maybe she's looking for a settlement of some kind. But, like, there's literally the patient's like name and address and all of that on this particular kit. Now Cole's declined to give further details and they also refuse to give the name of the vendor. But you know, if my reputation was on the line, I'm throwing their ass under the bus. I'll tell you oh, what. Yeah. This is like nobody, this is the last thing people are literally doing online shopping because they don't want to go to the store. And they'll basically, you got COVID mailed to your house. That is gross. Potentially, yeah. of course. <laughs> can you imagine now she, well, she's definitely going to be in quarantine now, I can only assume. Um, I hope she didn't open the bag. I don't know if it said that. I don't believe it did. I hope the I biohazard hope. Uh, label kept her away. I would have thrown that thing right out the window. <laughs> I would have. I can't believe this This has happened. I mean, how can, how can it happen? I mean, they must have known, known this person. I'm assuming this person worked for the direct ship place. Maybe I'm wrong, but you have to assume that they take a tally of the test they receive and say, hey, whatever this guy's name is, he doesn't have a test for today. Like, it's also, this happened? isn't a situation either where it's, you know, like one of the pharmacies, you know, like how like CVS and Walgreens, they're taking, you know, home test kits and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Coles, who I, as far as I know is not participating in that, but you know, you have to wonder what other, what's going on at whatever this third party, you know, warehouse is, because if I'm Coles, I don't want any chance of this, you know, so maybe whether they're handling things, maybe for a pharmacy or, you know, in a shipping receiving pers- like perspective, I, if I'm Coles, I don't want anything to do with a facility that is handling COVID specimens. No, this is a terrible look. I mean, like you said, most people are staying home these days. People want to shop. You know, everyone gets their Amazon, all that stuff. But this will make you think twice about, do I get something from Kohl's? Like, what am I going to actually get? Because you can only assume that bag, who, who knows who handled it. So, like, you could just have, you could be, because she found it, the packing slip at the bottom. So she was ripping and tearing through that whole box before she found the uh, biohazard bag. So it's like, what did you touch? Like, you know, like. That's the word. If you're going to get COVID, you don't want to get it from a bag, a flag bag from Kohl's. Like that's, you know. Thank God she didn't ship direct to grandma. You know, yeah. like who knows what type of, you know, situation grandma's in. Maybe grandma would have torn right into that biohazard bag. So yeah. I, you know, this is a, a crisis averted, thankfully. But uh, I think Kohl's has some investigating to do here. Oh, yeah, they do. A resident in Oregon reported a cheetah on the loose and it turned out to be a stuffed animal so uh, apparently there was a resident that called the sheriff's office this is in multnomah county oregon who saw what they said looked like a cheetah but did not appear to be aggressive 
A deputy arrived on the scene, tried to flank the animal, and it turned out to be a stuffed animal just perched on a log in the woods. Jeff, this looks like a great resource, use of resources of law enforcement here. What do you think? Oh, no, it, it's a perfect. I, 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 there's no other better way for a deputy to use his time than to uh, handle a stuffed animal. And I can't imagine uh, getting a call about a cheetah on the loose that there's probably officers nearby hanging around. Uh, this might be over the pay grade of uh, animal control, but maybe there's an animal control guy hanging around seeing if this you know, cheetah gets off into town. So this is um, this was pretty bad. It looks like the officer seems to uh, have had fun. They uh, did. He, yeah, so I mean, at least he wasn't too mad. I mean, he was quoted saying he arrived in the scene and used his ninja-like skills to sneak up on the animal. So at least he's <laughs> having a little fun with it because uh, this this would have me very angry if I report if I thought a cheetah was coming. You know, if I was supposed to save the day and it's a stuffed animal. So this is great. The the sheriff's office posted this <laughs> on their Instagram page. I don't know if they posted it on like the log away, but if you like scroll through the photos, it's hilarious i don't know you know if the person that originally called maybe was in on on this as like a prank but like you look at this like i'm not immediately thinking like there's a there's a exotic cat here running around like i understand like in that part they have you know mountain lions cougars pumas whatever you want to call them this clearly is spotted it also looks very clearly to be a stuffed animal. I, I don't know why anybody would call, you know, law enforcement unless they just, they thought it was funny because I just can't imagine that this, anybody took this seriously. You know, if you're the person that witnesses this. No, of course. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, that's had to be a prank. I mean, no one, I mean, I feel bad for the officer, man. I bet his adrenaline was running. Thinking there was, you know, something out there. A zoo escapee, you know, yeah. like, like well, what else get, is out there too? Like, <laughs> right. Like I, I get, I get he's the only one that could probably be fooled. Um, Cause again, he, he said, of course I sat there dumbfounded that I was able to get so close for a couple photos. Turns out it was a stuffed animal. That's it was his exact quote. So him for a moment, I can, I'll give him a pass. Like your adrenaline's probably going, you probably see it. Cause how the picture shows it's in like some, it's in a green area, so it's kind of visible. So I'm wondering, you know, for a moment, but uh, yeah, this is prank gone bad. It looks like he did the right thing first. It says that he caught the deputy, you know, that was dispatched contacted the Oregon Zoo, which confirmed all of its animals, including cheetahs, were accounted for and safely inside the premises. So I think at once he realized at that point that the zoo had accounted for all of their cheetahs, that at that point it was probably uh, easier to approach the animal at that point <laughs> the animal oh god we um move on to california and this is a, just another 2020 type incident a paragliding santa was rescued after getting caught in some power lines so this is one of those uh, you know motorized gliders uh they, there's some you know different name for them but like it has like a big fan attached to it in a in a parachute and this gentleman was just trying to spread some holiday cheer and ended up almost electrocuted to death. The fire department 
said that, you know, basically the way he was seated was in a very certain way and that there wasn't any conduction from the lines. It sounds to me like this is a very, very lucky Santa Claus. And he was tangled up there for an hour. <laughs> Jeff, I know we saw the, the photos there. It's, it's pretty amusing, but geez, this guy could have been barbecued and that wouldn't have been a good look for the kids. No, that would have been terrible, especially uh, this close to Christmas, seeing Santa get fried. Um, this guy is extremely lucky. I would go play the lotto if I was him. Just look at the photos alone, how he was positioned. Not only the electrocution aspect of it, but just falling out of that thing from, you know, power lines are, are I don't know how high, but they're high enough that could do some damage. Um, I don't know why you would take this kind of machine, especially because the motor, I mean, I, I can only assume Turner, like you can't turn very well it's based on the parachute itself. So like, yeah, I don't think this is like turning on a dime, like a motorcycle no. or anything like that. <laughs> so I bet he was in trouble and knew it. That, that's probably the worst part. I feel bad for him because he probably saw the power lines coming and he probably knew he couldn't, he couldn't move. Um, yeah. Maybe so we could bad. stick to like the whole like fire truck parade in the future, you know, where Santa's safely perched in the back of a vehicle or something instead of, in a heavily populated area with power lines that can become entangled. I think it's probably best to, you know, leave that to the professionals next time. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it looks like what it looks like the uh, captain, Chris Vestal, he, he basically said, you know, 2020 is tough. I think this is something we all needed like Santa flying around. So it looks like the fire department wasn't too aggravated by it. Um, I think this kind of sums 2020 up in a nutshell, though, on the other take, Santa flying into power lines. So, um, yeah, let's stick to fire trucks, uh, maybe small convertibles, things like that from now on for Santa. And the, the video is wild because people heard him, you know, buzzing around. So this whole thing was basically caught on video of him just, you know, plowing right into these power lines. And people, you know, obviously were alarmed when this happened. You know, one of the witnesses said, I'm like, is he okay? Did he get electrocuted? What's going on? So I'm glad this turned out well for all involved, you know, both the Santa and the fire department looks like did a pretty good job uh, handling this potential disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to the fire department. They did a good job. Our national sports segment is sponsored by to die for tees specializing in all of your tie dye needs. Place your order at to die for tees.com. That's T O D Y E F O R T E E S.com. You can order your gifts for yourself, your friends, your family. You can also find them on Facebook to die for tees. Okay, Jeff, the college football playoff is now set and seems a little controversial. We have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. In Notre Dame set to match up with each other. It's going to be Alabama and Notre Dame and then Clemson and Ohio State. A lot of people are not happy about this, including myself, because for, well, for a few reasons. One being is we have a Ohio State team that played five games plus a sixth uh, championship game. And then we have a, a Notre Dame team that just got annihilated. And I'm not happy. Neither is Dabo Sweeney, apparently, as well. So what are your thoughts on this? Do, you know, do 
does Ohio State belong there, Jeff? And then does Notre Dame belong there? We have two kind of separate issues to, to talk about. And then also the replacement. What are your thoughts on this? So I would say no and no. Ohio State, they didn't play enough games. Sorry. Get, get out of here. Uh, go play on the Sunshine Bowl or something. Uh, and Notre Dame, what have they – I mean, they beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, I know. But what have they done besides get destroyed last week, you know, with a, with a full Clemson team? Um, Ohio State, if you're going to – Ohio State looked good. I mean, they didn't know they didn't really play anybody and they played less games. But if I had to pick one of those, you know, joke spots, I would probably give it to Ohio State because I think Notre Dame is a fraud team. Um, they just I, beat up on ACC team. So it's like, get out of here with that. I get, where you're, I get where you're coming from. And and so people may be surprised to hear this as a, the resident Notre Dame hater. <laughs> I, I would actually, I, I actually would put in Notre Dame ahead of Ohio State just because the, I think the fact that you're playing six games and getting in ahead of other teams is an absolute joke. The Big Ten, that Big Ten schedule was trash. The best team they probably played was just a week ago in that Northwest, that ranked Northwestern team. And quite frankly, that wasn't, that wasn't even a pull away for them until late in that game. That was a close game. I would say for at least three quarters and the Northwestern ultimately couldn't stop the run. You know, they, they ran Ohio state ran for well over 300 yards in that game. And they broke some records with Trey Sermon. I think he had like 330 yards rushing. So I'm very disappointed Dabo Swinney is also disappointed. So the coach, people not not aware, the coaches have their own poll. So there's, you know, the the typical BCS rankings, there's an AP poll, and then the coaches have a poll as well. And Dabo had them 11th. Oh, this is Ohio State. He had Ohio State 11th. And quite frankly, I don't hate it because, you know, I, I don't think it's fair for you to play five plus one and just have a gift handed to you. Ultimately, you know, the biggest loser in this is Texas A&M, who was ranked fifth. This is a travesty. Regardless of, you know, if you think, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State, one or the other doesn't belong in, I think most people can agree that Texas A&M played an SEC schedule, and their only loss was to Alabama. That is just so disappointing. Where, would you have put A&M in, Jeff? So I would have definitely put A&M in. They, they got hosed. Uh, there's no reason um, they shouldn't have been in it, like you said. I was actually bummed that Cincinnati did not make it as well. Um, I really like Cincinnati. Uh, I think their defense was really good as well. I, I like the I like the defense. I, I'm a sucker you're, for good D. Jeff, uh, you're, you're, you know where you're going with this and what's going to happen now. Once, once you <laughs> mention Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina – no, is eleven no. and zero. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm ill. I'm losing sleep over this. The fact that coastal, like this, is not the the college playoff was supposed to prevent this from happening, and you know, in some years, it was there would have been at least some more one loss teams recently. But you know, if you're a you know Central Florida fan, you've probably been upset for a couple of years here, but. If I am a fan of Coastal Carolina, I am absolutely irate to see what has happened here. Especially if you look at, you know, by the way, right behind Texas A&M was Oklahoma at eight and two, and then Florida at eight and three. Now, I like it, from the eye test, obviously Florida is good, but I mean, you lost to LSU in like a terrible way. Like, I am irate, and even if you don't think Coastal Carolina is a top four, 
the fact that they're not in like the top eight, which is Cincinnati is eighth, at least it, it's just disturbing to yep. me. And we touched upon this during the live broadcast. This is just more evidence that this needs to be expanded to eight teams. And given that every other sport and also even college football has made on the fly adjustments for this COVID riddled season, this is just a flat out miss, not expanding this, at least for this year. And then maybe think about it in the future. So they're definitely, sh- yeah. And I agreed. I said there should have been eight teams on Saturday. I think they, the whole voting process needs to be fixed. Um, Cause you look at the four teams that made it. Um, they're all popular teams around the country. You know, everyone knows Clemson. Everyone knows Ohio state. Um, Notre Dame is supposed to be that historic team, whatever, even though they haven't been good forever. Um, so clearly the whole voting system doesn't make sense because they're, they're never going to put a Coastal Carolina in the top four. I don't care if they go undefeated next year too. They're not, they're not getting there. Cincinnati, they can go undefeated. They're not doing – it's just if your team isn't one of those premier teams, I put those in, qu- in quotation marks for everyone that can't see me um, because it's not the sexy pick. No one wants to see Cincinnati. You know, it's, it's, just- it's, it's a crime. I don't want a stupid computer like telling me like what to do here. Like, so if you look at the final coaches poll, which I thought was interesting, that had Cincinnati sixth. It had coastal Carolina up to at least one spot to 11th. And then the AP actually had Cincinnati sixth and coastal Carolina ninth. But ultimately it's, you know, the, the college football rankings that they put out with their little computer and whatever else they use to, take into consideration i just i i'm not gonna watch this year i i can't because i i know other people probably don't care because unless you know you're a fan of these four teams I, but i wouldn't be surprised if some people were disenfranchised here like if if i'm an a&m fan you know Fl- florida dug their own grave so it, it is what it is but you know it's certainly you know what would been really interesting is if florida was able to beat alabama in that sec championship because that would have really thrown a wrench into things yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, this is clear that things need to be changed, like I said. Um, it's just, how does Notre Dame get just destroyed in every phase a week ago and make the playoffs? How, how does anyone look at them and say, oh, they're going to do well? They're going to get absolutely destroyed. So you think that's, that's what the product you want on the field if you're, you know, head of college football? It's, it's stupid. This has happened before, too, before Notre Dame was de facto an ACC member. Even when they were independent, they always seem to get the luck of the draw because everybody has this weird obsession with Notre Dame in the history behind it when, in fact, they've been an absolute trash team, you know, for close to 30 years now. <laughs> they've, been an, they've been absolutely irrelevant. So I'm not sure why they continue to get the benefit of the doubt. It's really disturbing and i hope that maybe this at least pushes college football in a new direction or to at least examine you know the way this is being done and you know hopefully moves on to expanding this you you had a good idea the other day but at least go to six and put up you know put a buy situation in place like is it really that hard to add two teams here i I feel like we can only go in a better direction at this point because this is just we're we're now back to pre-playoff you know, where we had an arbitrary one and two to play in the national championship and the playoff was supposed to fix that problem. Right. I mean, I, I'm okay. If there, if this were six teams, if there was a 16 playoff, 
it would have made me feel a little bit better about Notre Dame and Ohio State. I still wouldn't have been happy, but it, it would have made me feel just a, a smidge better. Um, but yeah, this is t- the thing that bothers me the most is people are going to always defend it because I I do believe Ohio State has a chance to beat Clemson. I don't think Al- I don't think Notre Dame has a chance to beat Alabama. But everyone's going to be like, see, they be- Ohio State belongs. They beat Clemson, so it's like it's a lose lose situation because if they win. People are like, oh, that's why they're there. It doesn't matter about their record. So, well, I, yeah, I think there's no there's no doubt that they have a talented team. You have one of the best quarterbacks in the country at Ohio State and Justin Fields, but the fact like you haven't done anything. I mean, and, and to no fault of their own, but I would blame the conference for you know for yeah. the way that they handled this this season. But you know that that's how it goes sometimes, and I'm not gonna at the same time I'm not gonna penalize. Another team that played a full slate. No, you shouldn't. It's bad. Bad look for the for college football. On to a little NFL. This is a, a strange story. So the Detroit Lions fired their special teams coordinator, Braden Coombs, after he called for a fake punt, but apparently did not clear it with interim head coach Daryl Bevel. Now you might say, okay, what, what's the big deal? The Lions suck. They, are, they already did some house cleaning. But here's the thing, right? The, this gentleman, Braden Coombs, who's in his first year as special teams coordinator on a team that is really bad. And obviously, they, so they fired their general manager. They fired their head coach. You're going to have a new regime in next year. But when you look at this, of the people that may – carry carry over you have a great young special teams coach and this is his first year they have been by pro football focus has the detroit special teams graded as a a tied for fourth this year this is literally one of the few bright spots on an absolute terrible team and terribly run organization and i just feel like this just keeps proving why you're the lions in this exact situation Jeff, what do you think? Is this like a worthy case to, to fire someone? Like, I understand, like, if you want to have some uh, a reprimand in place, but this just seems totally overboard to me. Oh, it's 100% overboard. I mean, this is like such a Jets move. It's like, <laughs> it's like the Lions are the Jets of the NFC. Um, this guy, it's his first year. He's doing well. Uh, well, you know, comparatively to your team, the rest of your team's garbage. Right. Um, Look at your record. Look at your offensive output. You're like it's nothing's going well, um, and then you do this. And then There's why two is the intern, left. Why is an intern coach even making? I mean, it looks like I was reading. I don't know who Justin Rogers is, so I don't know his uh, his credentials. But it looks like he was told by a source in the organization that it was a cultural decision. And yesterday's fake punch, which Coombs called without running it by anyone, uh, sealed the decision. So I don't understand a cult. What is what is that? That mean? is a weird choice of words. Very weird. Um, Chris Spielman so. is the general manager, and the article I read here is that Spielman had no say in this matter. My interpretation of this: so Daryl Bevel has been in the league now for twenty years. He's never been a head coach. He's been primarily an offensive coordinator in this league. And he's been in, you know, a few successful situations. Most recently was with the Seahawks for an eight-year run or six-year run that was pretty successful. I just want – this just seems like a big hard move, him trying to say, 
hey, look at me. I'm doing something. I, you know, I should be in contention for the job next year. If, you know, or if it's not here, maybe he'll, he's looking for an interview somewhere else. But to try and ruin the career of a young coordinator who was having a successful year like this, it just, it rubs me completely the wrong way. Oh, it's a terrible move. I mean, it's kind of funny that Jake Fox, their punter, was named to the Pro Bowl uh, this week. He actually tweeted out, uh, I have so many people to thank, but I wouldn't be here without Braden Combs, the best <laughs> coach and mentor I could have asked for. Oh, um, I like it. I love it. So he's throwing some shade. He also tweeted. Uh, Jamal Agnew did like, too, the returner, yeah. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone, no one's happy about this. This guy just, um, I'm, a now, I'm now a Jack Fox fan on a side note because his Twitter, he says he's a field position optimization specialist for the lions. I, I like that for, instead of saying punter. So Jack Fox, you have, you have a new fan, but um, yeah, that was 23 hours ago. He wrote that tweet. So obviously they liked him. They, they trusted him. This he's the third punter in lions history to make a pro bowl. Wow. I'd say it's pretty historic. This team is, you know, it's not a new team. So yeah, this is, this is bad. I hope this turns into maybe a positive for Braden Coombs. So maybe some front offices caught wind of this story and then made them pay attention a little bit more to maybe his body of work this year. And maybe that gives him a better opportunity than, than Detroit. Maybe somebody, reti- so. maybe somebody retires or, you know, there's another a better run organization out there that's interested in his services and hopefully it ends up for the best. I hope so. I mean, he deserves it. I mean, like I said, bad team. He did his, he did his job. Uh, look at the punt. Like I said, look at, look at Jake Fox. He's, he's killing it. So I hope he, hope he, uh, does well, and I hope the uh, Lions are in special teams jail for for a decade now. A little, <laughs> little voodoo. It all seems to work out in the end. Oh yeah. In extremely sad news, one of my favorite all-time players passed away. Kevin Green died at the age of fifty-eight the other day, and th- this one really bothers me. I really was a huge fan of of Kevin Green's. I had advocated for him being a hall of famer for many years back in 2014 when he was a finalist and didn't get in. I remember talking about this because I was irate that he still hadn't been included. Kevin green is the third on the all time sack list. He did finally get in in 2016, but we've lost him at a, you know, at a far too young of an age. What do you think about this, Jeff? It's very sad news. I was actually very shocked to see this, especially, um, you know, you never want to see this, but his age alone, he's 58 years old. So, you know, it's still young. Um, this was, I mean, he was one of the best to ever do it. I mean, I don't think he did get the respect he deserved the, for how good of a player he was. It's sad that he probably will now because of his passing, uh, one of those kind of things. People will kind of look into his backstory and give him more credit. But, um, yeah, this was really sad. Uh, the football loss loss of legend. So, and, and, and it's even tougher. I mean, I guess not tougher, but people are having pr- problems with it because no one knows what happened. Not that it matters. I mean, he's, he's obviously gone, but it's definitely very sad. It always disappointed me because, uh, you know, up, up until that point, you know, he was the only retired player in the top 12 in sacks that wasn't in the hall of fame. And I, I just couldn't put my finger around it, you know, as to what was keeping him out, you, you know, he, especially, I think it's especially impressive because he didn't play forever. 
you know, I think he played 12 seasons, I think. So I think that makes it even more impressive that he was able to get to that point. And, you know, the, the person that's literally a half a sack behind him is Julius Peppers, who quite frankly would probably be a first ballot hall of famer. And, you know, you look at it, a very similar type of type of game and, you know, the guys behind him and then Chris Dolman, Michael Strahan, Michael Strahan, Michael Strahan got in two years before <laughs> Kevin Green did. Like, I just could never make sense of it. Um, I'm glad that he finally got the recognition that he so deserved, but, you know, I only enjoyed it for now four years and it's, it's just really heartbreaking. We don't know any details about this. Uh, but I, you know, I send my condolences to to his family and friends and all the people that he had an impact on, you know, around the league because it, it you know, there's been a large outpouring and I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about Kevin Green and the guy just had one of those all time high motors, you know, he, in his own words, you know, he said he was never the fastest guy, never the biggest guy, but he just had a motor that wouldn't quit. And it's just hard not to respect the hell out of a player like that. Oh yeah, he was a legend. He's one of the best, like I said. Um, especially, I think impressive. Uh, he played for four teams, so it's not like he, you know, you see some of these bigger name guys play for one team, go to another team, can't figure it out, and they're out of the league in two years. Um, he he played for four, right? Yeah, Rams, Panthers, and 49ers. and one more maybe. Oh, Steelers, Steelers, Steelers. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I find that impressive um, as well because it's t- to attain this high a sack count and be you know, shuffling like this, that's, you don't see it anymore. You see it, you see a, these high profile guys these days, they leave most of the time. They leave the team they've been on and they just crumble because it's all system and all that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, definitely condolences to his family. It's very, very sad news today. Moving on to a dumpster fire in the Atlanta Falcons. This team has just crumbling and it just just when you think it can't get any worse they blew another huge lead uh to the buccaneers and tom brady this week but now news that todd Gurley has been demoted now ito smith has been named the number one running back by raheem morris who is the another interim head coach this is just caps off i think the way things have have gone here in atlanta because you paid Todd Gurley a bunch of money to come in here. He's looked terrible. And this has happened now. This is ever since that latest was it that it was his knee, right? You know, this was the year that they lost to the Patriots in the the Super Bowl. And he has not looked the same since this is just, I don't even know how to say, you know, Ito Smith, who is, you know, this is nothing against him, but you know, Edo Smith came in to be like the was like third on the depth chart a couple you know a couple weeks ago it seemed like this is just looks really bad for Todd Gurley and I I just wonder if this is it for him what do you what do you think I mean I think if this isn't it it's pretty close to I mean I don't know who else would look at him I mean I I can't I think he's on a two year deal is that correct I, I don't remember exactly um, regardless I mean I I would probably say this has got to be it for him. I mean, he's he's averaging 3.5 a carry, so it's not terrible. Um, but you can see it just doesn't look like he can kind of cut as he used to. His whole game is definitely – that knee is, is, is done. 
Um, so if he, maybe he can reinvent himself if he's willing to do that. Um, if not, I think he's, he's done. This seems like he, you know, if he does want to continue to play it, maybe he needs some time off. So Raheem Morris made a point to say it isn't about his knee. You know, I, I don't know specifically or structurally what his particular you know ailment is with his knee, but to me, these things usually only get worse. You know, maybe you can have a short-term Band-Aid, you know, maybe like with some other guys where you get that, um, those platelet injections and, and things like that and try and let it heal. But, you know, maybe it would serve him to take a year off or something. I, you know, I don't know, but I, I can't tell you that this is going to look much better for him. No, I mean, I think it's so tough with the running back position too, like, because you see what happened again, you know, when he was with the Rams that last year, Super Bowl year, um, he looked terrible in the Super Bowl. I mean, he was just useless. And now he's getting demoted for Edo Smith in Atlanta. Um, so I think it's a lot. Who's going to take a, if he takes a year off, who's going to take a flyer on him? I mean, maybe some team, but there's so many running backs that you could just find people. Teams just seem to find off the scrap heap every year to fill in, you know, at the Antonio Gibson this year, undrafted guy, you know, for Washington. So, oh yeah. And nobody so wants like, to spend that money anymore. You know, cause you look at guys that were kind of the opposite, you know, you look at guys like Melvin Gordon who had a really tough time trying to find a home this past off season. It's, it's people, teams just aren't prioritizing that position like that. It's over like the, yeah. those like, like Le'Veon Bell and, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, I guess, are, probably some of the last guys maybe to get that absurd money. I, you know, I know you have some younger guys like McCaffrey who also can't stay healthy, but, or Saquon can't stay healthy. Like that's the trade-off. I almost, you know, you don't have those bulldozers anymore. And I, you know, I wonder like you have these smaller agile players, if that has something to do with their health, but teams just don't want to risk it. And, uh, you know, Todd Gurley actually will be a, an, an unrestricted free agent. It looks like, after this season, I highly doubt he's going to get that five, five and a half million dollar, you know, cap hit type contract that he got this year. And he's going to be on a, I would say a heavy, heavy um, incentivized contract. If, if, if he gets another one, if he wants to keep playing. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he'd have to, it, 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 I think it's going to be tough for him. It just doesn't look good over the last two years. It just kind of, it's just, the fact that the coach brought up the knee, Maybe, like that means it's definitely about the knee. Like if you if you bring that up, if you go on the offensive saying, oh, it's not about his knee, that means it is about his knee. Um, well, so right. It, it like it's it's probably the knee, but he's well enough to be cleared. Right. So, Barely. like I th- they I think it, obviously it's it's related to the knee because you don't just lose a step overnight at, at his age, like no. that, especially where he was only a couple of years in and had actually progressed. You know, he had a tough, you know, what was it the first year wasn't as good, you know, quite as or the second year, one of them, you know, but it seemed like he had gotten to a point right before that injury where he was at a you know all time high. And then now he just hasn't looked the same now in a couple of years. No, it's it's I think it's over. It's, it's a tough position. You get run, you know, you get oh, running yeah. college till your till your knees are touching bone and then you know, you get the NFL and you slip up once, and there's going to be three other guys. Look at like you look at, look at this example: the third string quarterback, uh, third string running back, Edo Smith, is now ahead of you the depth chart. Like in a blink of an eye, you can lose your job, and it could be it. So, 
Yeah, you just ride the hot guy. And, you know, another Georgia Bulldog is kind of going through the same thing with like Sony Michelle. You know, Sony Michelle's like best days that already seem are behind him. And when you're a running back, it just goes quick. And that's, yep. you know, you just never know when it can there's be just, over. There's just too many people to replace you that if you lose it, it's, it's, you're probably gone. Yeah, there's just teams aren't ready to wait around for, a, you know, the running back. It's next man up. Yeah, no need to. There's just, yeah, there's just no need. Nope. On to local sports. Jeff, a word from our sponsor. Yes, local sports is sponsored by Jalen's Cafe. Jalen's the newest and best cafe around, located in the Prime Service Station at 414 West Grove Street in Middleborough. Jalen's Cafe offers a selection of homemade specials served daily, both hot and cold. Uh, serve fresh on sub rolls, uh, hand tossed pizza, and much more. Uh, give them a call today at 774 213 5153. Thank you, Jeff. Start with some Bruins hockey. It looks like we're finally going to be starting the NHL season in January. As of right now, we're looking at a 56 game season that will begin on January 13th. There is going to be some significant realignment. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about that by now, but the Bruins division will be called the East Division. And their opponents in the division who they will play exclusively this season will be the Buffalo Sabres, the New Jersey Devils, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Washington Capitals. I think this is interesting because noticeably absent from that list is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the Capitals in Ovechkin only seem to get older. So I, I think the way this falls is actually a benefit to the Bruins. Jeff, what do you think about this upcoming season implications and then how the division shakes up? Uh, so I love this division thing, um, especially because Tampa Bay is not no longer in the division because they're a wagon. Uh, let, let's be honest. Yep. Um, we're not, <laughs> you're not getting past them. Um, or at least not getting the top seed with, with them there. So uh, Washington, I don't think they did much to, to get any younger. And like you said, they just keep getting older and older and they just lost Lundqvist. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that they, they thought goal, Hol- Holtby was going to get some quality rest maybe. And, yeah. you know, I think that was a big thing is that maybe Holtby's played a little bit too much. So it would have been nice to have somebody like Lundqvist who now has uh, some sort of heart ailment who will not, and will not participate in the season. Right, which is which is tough to hear. Um, so I think this bodes very well for the Bruins. Um, these teams are you, – you should be able to take care of these teams. Uh, Washington will still give you a tough time. Uh, Sabres, you know, they got some scores as well. But uh, Yeah, I'm good. not sure if they're there yet, right? Like, I, they'll have not their time. Yet. I'm just not sure yeah. if it's this year. I think that's also uh, – which I hope uh, – which I hope no one – kills me for this, but I hope this helps Chara come back because I do think they need Chara. Um, maybe with it being, you know, you're not traveling too far. There's no threat of, you know, you having to bubble up. Um, I know that I hope this gets him back because uh, he can still be with his family and still play hockey. So Chara, I think, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. And I think if he does play, I think you're going to see something maybe that you haven't seen before where he ultimately may be a seventh defenseman but at the same time is on your second pairing. And the way I, the way I say that is because with this season that we've now seen the a 56 game season, you and I talked about this a little bit, I think on the live broadcast, you're probably going to have more back-to-backs than you've seen before because they just don't want to be playing regular season games into August. 
So if I had to guess, you're going to see more back-to-backs. And I think what that means is that when you have a back-to-back, Char is simply not going to play on one of them, most likely the, you know, the second night. So I I, I think that, you know, with the way they're constructed, I still think that he is skilled enough maybe to play on a second pairing. And he obviously will probably still play on maybe your second penalty kill unit. But also, I, I don't think he's someone that needs to be active every night because you want to preserve him, you know, as you're getting later in the season, the lap, like a tired and run down Zidane Chara is not going to be helpful to you whatsoever. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's back, but I, I think it would be maybe a unconventional usage than we've previously seen with the way he's played. No, definitely. I mean, it would it definitely, I, I think you'd need to get him back just because you really don't. I mean, you have a couple guys coming up, but it would be good for him as a mentor aspect. Uh, but I agree. You can't have him playing back-to-backs. I mean, you, you see it every hockey, every every playoffs the Bruins get into. Uh, the, the NHL is changing from these big dudes that hit to these fast guys that can skate, and he's just getting dusted. Um, so playing back-to-backs in a season like this, he, he'd be worse than he's ever been uh, in a regular 82-game uh, schedule. So, yeah, I hope, I hope he um, does come back. But, yeah, you definitely have to restrict how much he plays. Some players are already back at uh, Warrior Ice Arena at this point. So training camp doesn't start until around January 3rd. So it'll roughly give teams about 10 days. But if the player has already gone through the necessary quarantine period, they've been allowed access. So you have a newcomer, Craig Smith, and then Brandon Carlo, Jack Stadnika, I know are confirmed guys that have already been back in the facility starting to work out, which I think is a good sign. You know, obviously for some of probably the, the other international players that don't reside here in the off season, that's probably going to be who you're waiting for, presumably, you know, to, while they go through that quarantine period, Uh, this is going to be interesting because I think because this is going to be a, probably a rough start for the whole league, as far as getting in your groove, getting players back, there's just a very short period of time, I think, to get ready. And then as another thing we talked about on the live broadcast on Saturday was what the heck are the Canadian teams going to do? Because they don't even have a home. You have seven Canadian teams who the league wanted to have in their own division. However, the provincial governments have not given permission for them to play. Ultimately they may, they may end up in having to find us host cities or something. So this is only what the three and a half weeks away. And we don't even know where the Canadian teams are going to play or what that's going to look like. So I think there's going to be a lot of hiccups and I hope everybody's going to be patient because I think this is going to be a very unique season, even more so than maybe the bubble. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I guess we can talk probably in the live broadcast about overall NHL, but yeah, I, I said, I said on Saturday, I don't know how they're going to have played this season. I mean, I know there's some province that's already on lockdown. I believe that went down Manitoba, yesterday. Yeah. Manitoba has had some problems apparently. And you have, you have two teams there, right? Yeah. So uh, Ed, Edmund, Edmonton. Yeah. Is it, no, Edmonton's Alberta. I'm sorry. You have uh, Winnipeg is in Manitoba. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. And I, I, I would imagine we're going to have to have an answer very soon so that they can come up with schedules, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. 
it's all good. I mean, you you, you got to get this. You, you got to get them here first. I mean, I, I don't know what they're waiting on. At least get them over the border first because they can't, they clearly can't play in Canada this year. So just get that out of the way. Just figure out the rest, I guess, <laughs> as we go. But I don't know. NHL should have gone to a bubble again. I know they lost a ton of money. Um, but it doesn't make sense. Just within all this international stuff going on, it's easy for the NBA. They got one team up there, but for seven teams, um, yeah, they, they should have just bubbled this, had these people somewhere the whole, you know, for a week now, two weeks. They may have to do a Canadian bubble. You know, if they can at least get one province to sign off on this, that may be what they have to do is pl- like, it, you know, like they did with the Toronto bubble last year. I just don't see how you would find homes for seven teams in the U S at this juncture. Now I, I think like you could have done it, but you know, I, I just don't think in the amount of time you have available that that's going to be an option. So I think maybe the, the best scenario might be that they have their own bubble yeah. you know, somewhere in central, central Canada so that teams can, can get there. Yeah. So we already know that the league's going to look a little bit different at the start here, but the Bruins also have their own issues to worry about. So you had a couple players that had major surgeries over this offseason, big time players for the Bruins. So Marshan or Marshawn, as he goes by now, I forgot he changed it. Um, <laughs> and, and Pasternak both had surgery and will not be available. The, what is it? Cam Neely said that there was no timetable for either player, which is a little bit alarming, but also understandable given that this, there's a lot of confusion again with what the schedule is going to be like. But I, I, I'm, I'm worried you know, anytime you have, you know, two of your best players coming off a major surgery with no timetable, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's okay to be a little scared. What do you, what is your thoughts on the unknown prognosis here? Oh, so I'm terrified. I would say the word that I, that that's the word that comes to my mind. I mean, you had, uh, was it Mark, Brad had a sports hernia and David had what something in his hip, right? That's the scary. Uh, yeah. So the Pasternak had a labral a labral right. tear in his right hip. That's the one that scared. Like the sports turning, I feel like is pretty routine for players at this point. And I think it's just, you're just waiting it out for Mar- for Marshawn, but Pasternak and the hip thing, that is the one I think that I have some reservations about maybe. No, of course. And also the thing that worries me is when these, when they both had surgery, it was in both in September, they said four to five months, they'll be back um, ready to go. So, if we do the math, five months from September is January. Now there's no timetable. So it's like, what's, what's happening? They said like you couldn't even tell me like February. Like that's what, yeah, that's what's strange is that, you know, Neely says that there's no timetable. Yeah. So how do we go from four to five months to no, there will be ready in January. Yeah. Just tell me, I, even if you told me March, I'd be cool with that. Just to, for no timetable is worse because I don't want to find out like, cause I know what's probably going to happen there, but they're probably going to be back like the second week of February. And so I'll be over with, but just, just say that, well, you, know, I, you're, you know, I wonder if this is also because Neely hasn't seen them face to face yet. So I guess Mar- Marshawn is already back on the ice, 
which is a good sign. And so mm-hmm. I assume Neely's cool with that. But I guess David also David's here in rehab, which is also good. He's in the country. So that that's a positive. But I guess maybe it's one of those things where Neely just hasn't had a chance to evaluate them and David's not on the ice. So like what can you even say at that point? Yeah. I guess I just, you know, I don't know. I I, I guess I'm always a pessimist when it comes to these type of things, but I would at least like to have somewhat of an idea, like what, what we're looking at. Yeah. I mean, I am also a pessimist, but it, it just worries <laughs> me because Marshawn, you can understand or Marshan, whatever you can understand like sports hernia. He's not old. Cause I'm, I think I'm the same age as him, but for a <laughs> hockey player, he's old. So that one being longer than the four to five months I expect, but Pasternak is a young, young person. I believe so, we call it the prime Jeff, the prime the prime. Yes, I'm in the prime like like him. Yes. Um, so Pasternak scares me because he's young. He should be able to recover. The four to the five-month window should be the window. You'd think unless something happened or he had a setback that wasn't said. So, uh, yeah, these are terrifying developments. I don't really care about the, the beginning of the season for the Bruins. You know, it's going to be sloppy for everyone. That's I don't want, I don't want to rush them back to a sloppy hockey. I don't really care about the first – you know, a couple of weeks, to be honest, because it's going to be bad for everyone. It's just their injuries that the prognosis is what worries me. So I guess the good takeaway from that, that call with Neely was that there are no other injury concerns right now to report on. So I guess, you know, two planned surgeries and no one else to talk about. I suppose things could always be worse. So we'll, we'll, we'll take some good news with, with the bad, I guess. Yeah. Hockey's just the injury. They they're so they just say upper body or lower butt. It just uh, bugs me. It's like you never know. It's like head, <laughs> shoulders, and toes. Like just put in the map where you're hurt because they never tell you. So right, yeah. show me on the doll where where you're hurt. <laughs> it's so bad, so bad. Let's get on to some Celtics since the season starts on Wednesday, the twenty third. Tristan Thompson is now a full participant in practice, but he, he'll be on a minutes restriction upon his return. So I get it. You know, you don't want to mess around with a hamstring or anything, you know, like that. The good news though, that if you want to read between the lines is that he's removed from the injury report Mm -hmm. for Wednesday night's game against Milwaukee. So I, I like, I'm happy with this. You know, originally I, I guess I was a little confused as to what was happening with him, but now seeing that he's a full participant in practice, he's removed from the injury report. I'm not really like scared by a minutes restriction, especially because of how short the off season was. I, so I will take this as good news. You excited for Tristan? I'm very excited. Um, yeah, I, I do want to be have him on a minute restriction because I, I don't want a hamstring to become something worse from a pull to a tear. So the fact that he's able to come back uh, relatively quick, I mean, I didn't expect him to play this game. I was actually shocked to hear the news that he was going to play this. You know, there was even a chance a couple of days ago. Right. There's a chance. So um, this is a victory. So I'm excited to see him uh, tomorrow play. Played over average over 30 minutes a game last season, which is something I think they desperately need at that position that that him to play the five because it was, I think it was a big ask, you know, and Daniel Tice, I think did it admirably, but I I think to have 
him play the minutes that he did in at his at this point in his career I, you know his development still because he's still raw to the nba and new to the nba i just thought that was a big ask and that's why they went and got canter but ultimately they were you know still happy with tice's output where canter really didn't play much you know when no. he when he was here and uh, you know i don't think you can trust robert williams at this juncture so obviously tristan thompson's probably not playing 30 minutes out of the gate but i think to have somebody a a double double guy to to come in i'm i'm excited about that and we'll most likely get to see him so this game is wednesday 7 30 p.m on tnt they're going to take on Giannis in the box <laughs> so after some good news uh then we get into this because i I think this is going to be a little bit of a tricky game for them. I, I just don't think they're ready at this point in the season. Obviously, Kemba's still out. But, you know, the rest of the team is relatively healthy. So Kemba's out, Romeo Langford's out, and then Taco Falls day-to-day. Obviously, he doesn't really play much. But, you know, you're you're going to see, you know, a great team right out of the gate in the, in the Milwaukee Bucks. So... I'm not sure, you know, I know we were still critical about the two preseason games. However, I'm willing to give them some leeway, especially with Kemba going to be out of the mix for, for a while. And then while Tristan gets healthy, I think what you do want to see though, is a, a much better field goal percentage than you saw in the preseason, because, you know, guys like Jason Tatum just are not going to be that bad throughout the season. What do you think about no. this game? And, you know, the early part of the season here. So the early part, so this game, I don't, I don't think it's going to go. Very it's just well. a throwaway. Like I'm not like, I'm okay with the result either way. Like, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, the, the bucks have, is it DJ Augustine's the only one out. So they have a full squad, right? He's day to day too. Like they're, they're really pretty healthy. It seems like yeah, they're pretty healthy. So I want to see kind of what they can do. You know, when, it, when they face kind of the adversity of this is clearly a better team. Um, they're not fully healthy. Like, what, what can you do? I, I hope they keep it close. Um, I would hate to see a blowout, especially, you know, the first game of the year. But then you two days later, is it two days later? Yeah, Christmas. You go play another good team, the Nets. So, like, you, you got to – the first two games are kind of tough. Um, so, I'm very worried. <laughs> not I'm not – no, I shouldn't say worried. I'm optimistic, but I don't think it's going to end up very well. Um, the remainder part of, you know, leading up into the new year, they play Indy and Memphis. So, like, they have time to kind of figure it out. They don't really play a good team again until the fourth and they play Toronto. Um, but that, that starts another stretch of tough teams. So, um, it'll be interesting to see, for sure. I want to see where they land because I know we had to talk uh, – on Saturday about where we ranked them talking fifth, sixth, you know, so this will probably this first half of the season, you play a lot of playoff teams. So it'd be good. Good, good test. These are both teams that probably don't have set rosters either. I would assume that you're going to see trades most likely by both of these teams, possibly even significant player movement throughout the season, because, you know, the Bucks ultimately after some, weird off-season shenanigans ultimately didn't really you know bring in anybody of significance and obviously the Celtics have that 
trade exception burning a hole in their pocket. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think this in this is not even close to probably the, the rosters that you're going to see by both of these teams that you will, you know, three months from now. No, I don't believe so. Um, there's definitely going to be some changes, especially, you know, you get Kemba back, you're going to get um, the only thing that this, the schedule kind of scares me is the, the limited amount of time off, which for a Celtics team that has a Kemba Walker, who is always hurt uh, or, or, you know, has, has got a chronic knee issue. Is that going to be, you know, the biggest downfall of this team? It, it might not be the schedule. I mean, it might not be the teams that are playing. It might be just it's rapid fire because, I mean, they don't have many days off if days off <laughs> between some of these games. So the schedule is quick. Yeah, exactly. So, and you wonder, you know, especially with – so the Bucks end up losing a second-round pick because of that Bogdanovich situation, which I thought was – interesting and mm-hmm. that was just another reason why i say i don't think they're even remotely close to done because i still think they're looking for another wing player but they ended up losing a second round pick for some you know tampering allegations and i'm sure everybody's heard about all that by now but it was just a very strange <laughs> circumstance because at the time it seemed like they were doing a lot to try and appease Giannis, but ultimately he did sign that massive extension to stay there so i still think that they're looking to, you know, just because they got his name on the paper, I still think they want to win. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they make another big time uh, move throughout the season, just as, you know, I don't know if this, I don't think the Celtics are done either. Now they also, you kind of have to wait till your team gets healthy though, before you start, you know, making drastic moves. I think, you know, there's still all the, the James Harden talk going around the background, the Celtics name, found its way into the, the news again today with Harden. Harden had a altercation with the rookie and I guess hawked the ball at him in, in practice. <laughs> I, I just don't, I wonder if Danny is really interested in, in James Harden or if he's just kind of lukewarm. Part of my problem is, is just the way James Harden has handled himself. So he looks like he's completely out of shape. He's causing a ruckus at, you know, at practice I'm not like originally, like if you asked me three months ago, like would I trade Jalen Brown for James Harden? The answer is yes. 10 out of 10 times. And now I'm starting to cool a little bit on the James Harden thing. At the same time, I just don't know how they make themselves better. So you and I talked about their like fifth or sixth in the East, probably depending on who you ask right now, you know, these are the teams that you have to beat that these, the, the Bucks you know, to even make it out of these. So what do you think as far as moves and, you know, when, or, or then what are you looking for in games like this, you know, to try and evaluate the team? So I guess we'll go to, you know, adding people, the trade aspect of it. So me personally, I'm not a big James Harden fan. I think the dude plays no defense, but he scored. I mean, he, he does play a little defense, but he, no, it's not much. <laughs> not much. But if you think about it, I mean, if you put if you were to put him on the Celtics right now, he'd probably be. I, I would say he's probably the best player. I, I think I think he's still better than Tatum. Um, uh, probably, yeah. Right now, yes. Right now, he's for M- now, he's an MVP. So yeah. Yeah. So the tough thing with the with the NBA is such a such a players league. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like the, the I mean, obviously chemistry matters, but like if you bring someone like Harden in here. You know who who else can that bring? Can you 
if you get if you lose Brown, who can you add as that third piece just because Harden's there, kind of thing. Um, so I flip flop up flop a lot on this subject. Most of the time, I say I don't want Harden, but just for the fact that we probably like we could get a better third person than just if we're to, were to keep Brown Tatum and add someone. Um, so I think they should really make a serious look at Harden. Make sure he gets in shape first, um, because that was scary. Because he was pretty. I mean, I, I'm th- trying to think back. In the bubble, he was in shape. Yes, so he was. What happened? It's only been a couple months, but um, he's been yeah. eating well at the strip clubs. It looked like. <laughs> yes. So I would take Harden because he he would definitely be the best player. Um, I guess for now. He asked me tomorrow. I might I might change my mind. So. Um, Fair but enough. I'm just really for right now. This how this team's looking. I want to see how the young guys perform. So I'm looking for uh, you know Neesmith and Pritchard, even Time Lord. I mean Time Lord needs to kind of step up now. I would say um, I want to see Neesmith. You know he's supposed to be this shooter. So I want you to come off the bench like a Duncan Robinson or you know name you know JJ Redick. Sure. Play play a couple minutes, shoot the ball, play defense, three and D kind of guy. Um, and then, so that, that's what I'm really looking for: the young guys first, and then hopefully by some point we get everyone back. So, yeah, I think it's a welcome distraction now that you know football is winding down. We're onto the <laughs> Celtics. We're onto the Celtics. Onto the Celtics. Onto some Red Sox. Not too much going on recently with the team, but there is an interesting note that we hinted on a little bit on Saturday where David Price still has not committed to playing again this season for the Dodgers, which could in turn save, save the Red Sox with some significant amount of money. So by him opting out last year, the Red Sox saved a prorated amount of $6 million. And if he doesn't play again this year, they could save the full $16 million that they were responsible for on the contract, which is interesting, especially, you know, as you know, John Henry likes to, keep an eye on the finances. So I'm, I'm hope I hope he doesn't play again. That would be fantastic. You know, they obviously didn't need him anyway. The the Dodgers that is last last year. So it'd be nice to be able to allocate that money elsewhere, maybe towards a new pitcher. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, this would be fantastic. This would be the gift that keeps on giving. We get rid of David Price and we don't have to pay um any of his salary. So it really depends. So this, this could go a couple of ways. Um, it'd be nice if they use the money towards something. So I don't want them to save the money and not use it. So John Henry, if you listen to this podcast on Spotify, when you're up late at night, drinking your thousand dollar bourbon, you got to spend this money, give high and bloom the option, at least the option, start digging into it. Maybe find some, you know, cheap guys that high likes to, you know, make his analytical dream team. Um, but I don't really care about this. If you're not going to spend it, then I don't really, what does it do? You know, I don't you know to put this in perspective, if, if David Price is playing this year, you're paying $16 million to a player that is not on your roster. And you look at some of the other players they've signed recently, that's a big chunk of change. I mean, you can find a, a nice middle of the road starter at $16 million a year that you desperately need, or even more so the back end of the bullpen which is still a dumpster fire as far as I'm concerned. You know, you, there's closers that make, you know, good closers that make less less than that. So, you know, I, I hope I hope he doesn't play. That would be such a David Price thing to do. Imagine if he just never played again. 
because of like and just like because of covid if you know whatever his reasons are but that would just be such a david price thing you know you opt out they won the world series and you are never heard from again yep such a david price thing but uh yeah spend it you're gonna you're gonna pay for it anyway spend it so talking about some potential replacements in the starting rotation the red sox have been rumored to be fairly interested in free agent Corey kluber there was some information that came out recently from John Morosi and Rob Bradford that Corey Kluber is going to hold a workout or he's going to throw for MLB, MLB teams in the first part of January. So uh, the first part of January to me is sometime in the next couple of weeks. This one is intriguing to me because, you know, Corey Kluber really hasn't done much in, you know, a couple of years now. Pitched one inning last year, this last season, and the season before was a disaster by his standards. So I don't think it would be very costly. And I think he would fit in nicely probably right as a, you know, number four starter potentially with what, you know, with what you have. What do you think? Are you you interested in Corey Kluber? So I'd definitely be interested in, in Corey Kluber. I mean, the number one is they need pitching. We, we've talked about it at length. Uh, they definitely need to bullpen and, and definitely start a rotation. Um, even just looking at his previous contract, the one he signed with the Indians uh, in 2015, it was five years, thirty-eight and a half million. So he's making about seven point seven a year, which is which is low. I mean, I would say back then, I mean, I know he hasn't been like dominant, you know, even in 2015, he wasn't like as good as he's been, but I feel like that's pretty low. He probably could have got more on the open market. I would think at that time, at least still. Um, So if the price is right, if we can get him on like maybe a two year, I don't know, two for 10, maybe two for something like that. Yeah. I'd go, Um, I'd go to 30, two for 30. Yeah, I mean, look at that. That's that. It's more than he usually got with this deal, so or pretty close to. So, um, yeah, the price is right. Why not? I think what's interesting too about if you were to bring in somebody like Corey Kluber, and he was even a fraction of what he was, you know, in two like in two thousand eighteen, he had a two eighty nine ERA. I'm not even looking for that. Like, if you can, if he can have an ERA like in the fours, you know, that's a perfectly serviceable like four starter but what i think that might open up is if if you get you know something out of him and then you get a vault you know a valdi on track and if eddie comes back to his the the better form that we've seen um of eddie rodriguez you could potentially and i heard this floated out the other day by someone i forgot who it was on the radio that with Chris Sale's situation and him not being available, you know, until the summer anyway, if you got some of these starters going, you could potentially bring bring Chris Sale back as your closer or setup or a late inning guy just for this season. Chris Sale has experience coming out of a bullpen. He's done it before early in his career with the White Sox and obviously did it, you know, in the World Series as well. I think that would be interesting and could potentially be a, a short-term solution for their bullpen problem. So, you know, I don't think you can ever have too much starting pitching. So, what, you know, if you go outside and Kluber, you know, whatever's available, 
you know, I would be interested in if I was the Red Sox, just because it seems like at this juncture, maybe there is a few more starting arms than, you know, like you can't just go and sign like a shutdown closer, like, cause that's just not a possibility in free agency no. right now. So I I'm all aboard for this and, you know, whatever other, you know, maybe not, not cheap, but short-term type deal players are available like this. Well, you know, another one I just realized is available. He signed a one-year, $3 million last year, um, and he's a very reliable pitcher in the league. Um, he's never said anything absurd. Uh, his name's Clay Buckholtz. He's, he's, he, he's available. Stop it. Um, remember that time he lost 20 pounds at, at, in Texas in his hotel room and had him as a start or something like that? He, signed, he had a one-year one year $3 million deal with Toronto last year, so now he's a free agent. Do you have his uh, numbers in front of you by any chance? No, I just, I, I just saw that and laughed. I can look it up though, but, um, so he's actively seeking employment still is what you're saying. It says what I can see is he is a free agent. Um, but is he yeah, older, is he older than Kluber? At this he's 36. Point? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So Kluber turns what 35 in April, I believe. Yep. So the, like, I mean, this is what you're looking at. If you're the Red Sox, you're with, as far as free agents go, you know, unless you're Trevor Bauer, like these are you're looking at reclamation projects and, and guys that are on the the back nine of of their career. I can't I don't know with the way with what they know about Clay Buckles and the way things went here. I'm not sure if they would ever consider that. No, but at I the same time, like you know, yeah. Please go ahead, go ahead, Jeff. I'm curious. Uh, so he, he pitched in 12 games last year. Uh, he was two and five with a 6.56 ERA. That's not good. But the year before that, he pitched 16 games for Arizona with seven and two with a 2.01 ERA. That I do remember. So that was interesting. Mm. And I, I wonder, though, if the ballpark and the opponents have anything to do with that. You know, the National League is usually a little comfy. I wonder, you know, I don't, I don't know if, again, like, I'm not opposed to looking at anyone that's available um i just what do you, do you know what he made last year by any chance he made three it was one 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 year three million so and that's kind of what they paid their their new outfielder right yeah. hunter renfro also got hunter renfro. So, i mean three million dollars in that in that sport is just like ashtray money like that like john henry like like could lose that amount and not even notice it so yeah. again like I, i'm all about inviting people to camp or you know whatever you want to do i i just you can never have too much pitching. So, you know, yeah. well, Clay Buckle still has an arm left. I'll entertain it. Bring, bring your radar guns, and we'll take. A <laughs> I don't. I don't really want Bull, uh, Buckles back. That was I. I more brought it up because it, it, I saw it, and it was more reactionary. You had the perfect reaction to it because uh, I don't want him back. But I was like, oh my god, I didn't even think he was playing. Still, I thought after after Arizona, he was done. I didn't even know. No, he, he kind of slipped through the cracks on that. COVID year. Yeah. All right. So more to, more to look for in the future of the Red Sox. Yeah. Let's update that once we get more news. Let's get on, on to some depressing Patriots news. <sighs> Patriots lost to the Miami Dolphins 22 to 12, which effectively mathematically ended their season. It's, that was a tough game to watch because like it wasn't the game was in, in 
in your grasp at, you know, for a lot of it, but at the same time, like, I'm not really sure if anybody would like really thought that they were going to win that game, but you know, it really, Miami didn't really break it open until the fourth quarter and Miami put up 15 points in the fourth quarter and Newton threw over over 200 yards. So there that's something. And he did not throw an interception. So that's, that's great. But at the same time, like I just, I've seen this movie and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not interested, you know, in doing this for the next two weeks. So Bill was not committed to cam after this game. Like he had been the week prior. What do you want? You want Stedham, Jeff? You want, what do you want to see? So I want to see Stidham. I think, I think it's time. Um, it would honestly scare me if I see Cam Newton the next two weeks, because that would make me think he's coming back. Um, we can go over this in a little bit later, but if anyone saw his Instagram where he said, I know this was, you know, we can go over that. But that made me think, has he talked to Bill? He's like, cause like, or is he just auditioning for himself? But just to go back to the game real quick, I was, I was so disappointed in this game. Even when they were up six nothing going into halftime, I I had the worst feeling this was gonna end. I I looked at at Laurel and I said this is gonna end bad, and she said why they're winning, and I said this is gonna end terribly because you have an, uh, a guy now I don't know his real name because I think his name's Ahmed, but they kept saying Ahmed, but uh so yes that's the. the- like the Arabic pronunciation, it's, it's like a K sound. Right, that's what so, yeah. I thought. But then people kept flip-flopping. So yeah, Ahmed, yeah. undrafted rookie. He was fourth in the depth chart for fourth on the depth chart starting this year. And he just ran right over you. Um, so, I mean, he was constantly getting yards. Um, so as a fantasy owner of, of him um, Sunday, I appreciate him because I picked him up Sunday morning knowing that, you know, Patriots couldn't stop anything. So he got me a, ch- a good chunk of points. So thank you for him. But um, yeah, I wasn't happy with any part of this game. So the funny thing is like, if you look at this game on paper, like Cam Newton wasn't that bad. Like, so Cam Newton had a much better day than, than Tua had, you know, Cam threw for 209, no picks. Tua threw for 145 and an interception. Sony Michelle had a respectable average i think we had 10 carries for 74 yards so no no problem there jacoby myers had 111 yards on seven catches so i you know although you only scored 12 points so you know again this is the problem of you know ultimately getting into the end zone so i think there were fewer mistakes and some individual players were better you still have like the red like there's like a wall up like (laughs) like when like for them to get to the red zone and then also convert like it just seems like there's just a like a 30 foot brick wall for them to just to be able to ultimately score touchdowns yeah it's terrible i mean when's the last i mean the last time that they, they even scored a touchdown was it three weeks ago the chargers game they didn't score one against the rams either that exactly and that, that's so where i think weeks. It, uh, that's the problem you know and ultimately i guess that, ultimately that's on cam for the most part, because, you know, even in Harris's absence, you know, Michelle ran the ball. Okay. And, you know, most of your offensive line is healthy. Although you have some issues at, you know, at left tackle, you have Haran playing now and, but you know, I'm, I'm not like this, I'm not ready to like throw any of these players under the bus. Like I, I really just at this point for no other reason, like, 
you haven't scored touchdowns. Just make a change at quarterback at this point. Like, what do you have to lose? You you can't yeah. score a touchdown. Right. I mean, and, and all, this whole season, I mean, I know Cam gets a lot of the blame because he's the outspoken guy. He's the guy with the outfits and he's the guy with the, you know, so, the social media presence. But there's a ton of holes on this team. I mean, this defense is has played terribly. I mean, he's going to get all the heat because he's not scoring the points. Um, but I think, like you said, um, try with Sidham. See what you have. You know what scares me is that he's noncommittal about a quarterback. When Cam's playing like this, he's got five touchdowns thrown, ten picks. Um, I think it would have been easier. Stidham? How bad is Stidham that he can't get into the game? Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, <laughs> you know, Bill had a good out last time. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, from the Rams game perspective, like that would have been an easy after that juncture to change quarterbacks where now, you know, he threw for over 200 and didn't throw a pick, you know, now it's, I don't know if it's easier or harder because now, but now you, now that you're eliminated. So I think bill almost has like a, now it's like a built in, like, well, the season doesn't matter. Like I can throw Stidham in. like, there's almost no way bill doesn't have to explain himself no. at this point. And, and he can also make it look like that. It, it doesn't make cam look bad. Cause now bill can just say, well, Oh, we're eliminated. We'll see what we have to work with here. Something like that. Right. And also in that game, <laughs> Stefan Gilmore went down. So this looked bad when it happened. I thought his knee was toast. I guess depending on how you look at it there, the, the better of two scenarios is it was actually his quad. Mm-hmm. However, it is a torn, partially torn quad. So he'll be done for the year. This is interesting, though, because, you know, there's a lot of talk about how Gilmore is going to be traded in the offseason because he has a very team-friendly base salary of $7 million next year, and he does not seem to be happy here. Nope. But now you wonder if he'll be back now because, I mean, how how do you trade a player that is damaged goods, essentially? So, you know, maybe Gilmore will now at least be – at the beginning of the season will be on the Patriots still because, you know, Bill wants to get top dollar. So maybe you need to showcase him a little bit next season before the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to, cause either that or you take a discount, um, which, you know, Bill doesn't want to do. Um, so this is disheartening to me because I'm just the whole attitude of Gilmore this year. I just, I just hated it. I said, like I said, in the live, I said, it's time to sit guys. I said, JC Jackson, sit McCordy. And I said, play Gilmore. Like, I just didn't care. I was like, cause I, I feel like he's gone. His head has been in it for a while. Um, but so this, this is especially tough because you're he, not getting a first round pick out of a guy with a quad tear, at least right now. Until they no, see definitely not. In in related news, Gilmore was just named, named to the pro bowl amongst a couple of teammates very, they're very deserving jake bailey i think has had an excellent year and obviously that's reflected matt slater going to another pro bowl as well however there's a couple of big snubs here first and foremost jc jackson the fact that he wasn't even on the ballot was embarrassing and that's typical bill fashion there trying mm-hmm. to you know keep his value down but also uh, david andrews led the fan balloting at the center position and was not named to the pro bowl. So I thought that was a, a little peculiar. 
I know we're not supposed to put stock in the Pro Bowl and it's not even being played this year. It's a virtual Pro Bowl, but do you have any thoughts one way or the other on these selections? Oh, so, I mean, I like Slater. Slater's the GOAT, um, so I love that. Gilmore, what, what did Gilmore do this year besides miss a bunch of games? I was so mad um, that uh, J.C. Jackson didn't make it. I think he got snubbed. David Andrews, like you said, was leading the voting, and then all of a sudden he's just not in it. In it, I don't know uh, how a lot of the, the offensive linemen got stubbed. Joe Tooney had a good year. Shaq, you know, Big Mike, you know, like a lot of these guys, like – I don't know how everyone got snubbed. I also thought it was interesting. So as you mentioned, so Gilmore was selected. Yep. And, but Andrews was the number one vote getter, but was not selected. So the, the, the league changed recently a couple of years back about how they weigh it, but it doesn't seem like, you know, obviously Gilmore was put in by, you know, the league coaches player, however, whatever, uh, weight that carried is obviously how Gilmore got selected when Gilmore may not even be the best corner on his team at the moment. Grant Gilmore has been fine when he's healthy this year, but it's just a little peculiar, I guess, of how things kind of shook out here. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get it. I mean, these, these things are always a joke. We know that. Um, so, and it doesn't matter. They're not playing. It just thinks this is the year they don't even make the playoff. This is the year the Patriots actually could play if they are actually having uh, um, right, uh, Pro Bowl because they're not playing. Um, but yeah, what what a what a crime! Leave JC Jackson off and and Andrews. What a crime! Yeah, I don't. Not, I wonder. You know, with well, you, you know, here's the thing: like this is set in stone, right? So because there's no injury replacements this year because it's not being played. Oh yeah. So there's not I even any opportunity now for guys to yeah. kind of pad their resume, you know, in the past where you'd see yeah. like, remember like when Andy Dalton and David Garrard, like got like could be on the field because they're like the sixth and seventh options. Cause nobody, people didn't want to go. That's but like now you, you, can't, you can't even pad your resume. Now that sucks for some, like I feel bad for, you know, Andrews and, you know, maybe yeah, Tooney, Shaq and Onwenu, but Justin Bethel also, he, he used to be a perennial pro bowler, obviously competing now with his teammate with uh matt slater so you know he's not in either but I, I am happy for jake bailey because i mean obviously he's because the team's not very good this year there's been a lot of pressure on on jake bailey but i i tell you what he really stepped up and uh, i guess that's one of the few takeaways jake ba- when your punter is probably the b- best takeaway and, and jc jackson even though he doesn't get the recognition but i'd say those are the two biggest positives from this year are or uh, Bailey and Jackson. Yeah, I'd also add Nick Folk to that. I mean, dude's been nails yes, this year. Absolutely. Uh, Nick Folk, you know, kickers are kicking well. You don't really talk about them. So, you know, shout out to to him because he's had a, a really, really fine year, especially for a guy that was, you know, basically signed off the street a couple years mm-hmm. ago. And, uh, well, there's two fun facts. Well, not one fun fact. Did you know that Jake Bailey and Jake Fox, the two punters representing in the Pro Bowl, both went to Rice for a little bit? That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a that's a big big moment for, what are they, the, owl, the Owls? The Owls, the, yeah. The right? of <laughs> Stanford uh, to finish his career, but they started both at Rice, if I just found out. Did you see, speaking of Patriots, did you see the, the Patriots – uh, the kicker they brought in for a, for a look this week. No, Jeff, please tell us. 
Well, I'll give you a hint, and maybe you'll figure it out. He was a former second-round pick. Aguayo? Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. So it's funny you bring that up. Roberto Aguayo has always been interesting for me because I've, I've seen Roberto Aguayo in person, and I'm telling you, this is the this guy had the liveliest leg I have ever seen in person for a college football player. When, when they drafted him in the second round in Tampa – I, I didn't hate, I know a lot of people hated it, but from everything I had seen watching him play for many years at Florida state, there was no reason why you would think that this was going to go horribly wrong with his right. pro career. So, you know, as you know, a lot of this stuff is mental for these guys because you can't just have the physical tools in the world and just like, forget how to like, just not be able to kick. So I'm all for, trying out the reclamation projects at kicker, especially a guy that's so gifted physically. I would be very curious. I, I'm, you know, I'm rooting for the guy because you obviously don't want to see somebody, you know, go through what he did and then just never be able to at least kind of make amends, you know, for your on-field uh, on performance. Yeah. Um, so I just find it funny. So he was here yesterday and today, I guess. Um, Nick Folk's been nails. Nick Folk was the reason he got cut in Tampa if we remember correctly. So it's kind mm, of funny. I like it. That, yeah. It's a lot of intrigue. The only thing that worries me about, which I guess it doesn't matter because the season's over, but I wonder if uh, because the season's over, I know Nick Folk has that bad back. I wonder if they're just going to slap on, on the IR train. Just but I'm taking pause. Well, it may just be insurance if you know, he can't do it. Well, you don't believe in Justin Rohrwasser. R- you know, good draft pick. I don't, anyways, I don't we, we talked about that another day, but uh, I, good, I found that funny, especially good looking out. <laughs> We're moving on to Buffalo. So the Patriots will play on Monday Night Football, the yeah. 28th, 8.15 ESPN. And they will be at home hosting the 11-3 Buffalo Bills. I... Uh, I know we're doing like a game preview here, but I'm not sure if anybody cares at this point. This could end up being a bloodbath. I, do you have anything on this game? Uh, well, <laughs> well, first I want to say I'm, I am, you know, as a as a sports fan, especially a football fan, I'm like super thrilled the Bills won the AFC East. Especially their fans deserved it. I talked about it on Saturday. These fans are lunatics for years when this team was bad. So. No other team deserves it, so kudos to them. Um, they played well this year. Uh, but like you said, I mean, it's going to be, I would say, a bloodbath. I mean, Gilmore is gone. Buffalo has a lot to play for, too, with the Steelers' loss. Mm-hmm. You know, the way things are shaking. So, you know, especially, you know, I know the last game was close between the two, and, you know, quite frankly, the Patriots could have won that game if Newton hadn't fumbled the ball away. The, the Patriots were in prime position to – tie that game or go ahead in that game late with, you know, if it wasn't for that careless fumble and around the red zone. Mm-hmm. But I just think these teams have since then have gone in completely different directions. Now that doesn't mean to say that I don't think the Patriots can keep, make this a competitive game because, you know, if Newton's quarterback, I think ultimately they can do the same thing again, where they can kind of control the clock a little bit, mm-hmm. especially if Damian Harris is back and it looks that looking good. I think at this point, the only person that's ruled out is Gilmore at at this right. juncture. But at the same time, I could just, without Gilmore, that really starts opening up the passing attack. You know, Josh Allen's 
thrown for 4,000 yards already this year. So, you know, when you have got a guy like Stefan Diggs to worry about, this could get out of hand and could potentially be an embarrassing game for the Patriots. I'm, I'm really not sure what, what to expect one way or the other. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. I mean, I don't know how much, what the fight factor is in the Patriots anymore. I mean, your season's over. They probably are, you know, I mean, it's a business. They're thinking about their own, they don't want to get hurt. And again, that doesn't matter. Um, you got JT Jack and his bad knee. So, you know, I would, I would assume Diggs is going to, you know, eat him alive for a little bit. <laughs> you know, they just have, they have too many weapons. It worries me. I mean, you got, you got Diggs Beasley. I mean, John Brown's had an off year, but like he can still take one of the house in a moment's notice. I just. The funny thing I, about this, I, I think, is that in the Gilmore thing really hurts them because they really, the Patriots' biggest weakness on defense, I think, has been stopping the run. And Buffalo really doesn't have a good runner at all. No, Singletary is not very good this year. So I think that's, that's why I think the Gilmore thing hurts them the most is because, you know, we're used to seeing Josh Allen as, you know, an, at least early in his career was, you know, a, more so a guy that probably wanted to run, even though he had that big arm, but you know, he's now he's thrown for 4,000 yards in a season and like 30 touchdowns. So look out, you know, for the Buffalo passing attack, because I think it's going to be on display. Yeah. I mean, I'd, uh, I'd be surprised if the Patriots were able to scheme this up to stop them. I think, like you said, the only way they, if, if they can somehow manage this clock and manage it effectively, um, that's going to be their, their way to win. But I just, I don't see it. I don't, I, I don't mean to sound pessimistic. And I know I, I said the Dolphins were going to win last week, but I, I don't think they're going to win. I think they probably could lose to the Jets too. Well, I, don't, I think this might be, or I know I'm forecasting, but it, I just, I think they're probably giving up at this point. I guess I'm hoping at this point where the, the Patriots just don't want to be embarrassed on, on national television and they keep it close. That's, that's my hope. I just want a good game. Like last week, I, I predicted the dolphins to win. So I, I, I knew in my mind, they were already eliminated, but like, I feel like they just gave up. They just laid down in that game. Just like, so I don't want to see that, but I guess we'll see. We will see. And you can join us again on Saturday night for our Facebook live broadcast. It will be at 8 p.m. We'll go till around 9.30 or so. We appreciate all the participation that we've been getting. Uh, last week, we gave away a Truckee's gift card. We hope to maybe have some other goodies to give away in the future as well. But make sure you join us for that. We'll be setting up an event very shortly to invite all of you to that. And you can catch us on there. Jeff, any final words? Um, no, just thank you, everyone, and I look forward to uh, Saturday. Awesome. Let's go Patriots. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, everyone.